0: The following is an excerpt from The Shadow by Edith Nesbitt. There was always something behind me, something that one could just not see, and a sound that one could just not hear. There was a long corridor at the top of the house. I have sometimes almost seen something. You know how one sees things without looking. But if I turned round, it seemed as if the thing dropped and melted into my shadow. Good evening, everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors, The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Welcome back to the penultimate episode of our show. Today we continue our Edith and Edith series with our third tale from Edith Nesbitt, The Shadow. I will be narrating as Audrey, a young girl who's been tasked with overseeing her younger sisters during a ball. Audrey is a supernatural skeptic who convinces her impressionable sisters that ghosts aren't real. But a visitor's first-hand account will make them question what lurks in the dark. Coming up, the girls settle by the fire For a story.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app.
0: The orchestra played on as my younger sisters and I carried the unconscious girl off the dance floor. We maneuvered down the hall, me holding both of her legs and Cora and Evelyn each taking one of her arms. As the oldest, I always shouldered more of the burden than my sisters, and this girl's comatose body was no exception. Our aunt's Christmas ball was finally winding down. The girl, Maisie, had fainted on the dance floor in the middle of a vigorous round of Roger de Coverley. We didn't know her, but our aunt insisted the three of us watch over the girl until she came to her senses. We heaved Maisie onto a spare bed, then left her to rest. The adjacent dressing chamber was frigid. Cora and Evelyn nestled into armchairs and blankets by the hearth while I put more logs on the fire. The flames threw long, eerie shadows that prompted Cora, the youngest, to beg, Tell us a ghost story, Audrey, please! I laughed and said, I don't believe in ghosts. Have you ever seen one? Both of my sisters shook their heads. Has anyone you know? Again, they both said no. I went on. Me, neither. Don't you think it's strange that every ghost story you hear is from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone? Yes, Evelyn interjected. And they're always so perfect, with a proper beginning, middle and end. That's not how life is. Cora sighed. I suppose you're right, but they're fun, and I'd still like to hear one. Just then, a tapping at the door caused all three of us to jump. We looked at each other for a moment before bursting into laughter over our silly, momentary fright. I called, come in. In the doorway stood the shivering form of Miss Eastwich, our aunt's housekeeper. Hello, girls. I came to check on Maisie. Is she still under the weather? Over the years, Miss Eastwitch's stolid, silent presence taught me and Evelyn to keep our distance. But Cora was too young to be so wary. She said, Maisie is sleeping. Come in, get warm. Beside me, I could feel Evelyn tense. Surely Miss Eastwich wouldn't care to socialize with young girls. But to my surprise, the housekeeper's face lit up as Cora ushered her into the room. It occurred to me that I'd never seen her smile. Perhaps if I'd ever been warm to her, I would have. Cora gave Miss Eastwitch her comfortable chair in front of the fire and wrapped a heavy blanket around her shoulders. We're telling ghost stories, even though we don't believe in ghosts, she told Miss Eastwitch. Do you know any? For a moment, The older woman gazed at the shadows dancing on the walls. She pursed her lips. I suppose I do, though I've never told it to anyone before. I sensed her hesitation. She felt she owed us a story in exchange for our kindness. I tried to assure her. You don't have to share, Miss Eastwich. Just enjoy the fire with us. But she insisted, gaining confidence. I dare say it won't bore you. Interest peaked, my sisters leaned in. Go on, Cora encouraged. Miss Eastwitch's story took place more than 20 years ago, when everyone simply called her by her first name, Margaret. She had a dear friend, Richard, who was more precious to her than anything. But the two of them grew apart when Richard started courting Mabel, another of Margaret's close friends. Richard and Mabel fell in love, got married, and moved out of the city. Meanwhile, Margaret was busy establishing herself as a trusted housekeeper among London's high society. She meant to visit her old friends, but two years slipped by without her leaving the city. With each passing season, she grew less certain they would welcome her company. Until one spring day when a letter arrived from Richard. Mabel had fallen ill, and Richard hoped Margaret would come and help cheer them up. Their house was terribly gloomy, he said. It needed her warmth. (laughs) Margaret left London at once, anxious to reunite with her old friends. As her carriage rolled through the tree-lined neighborhood, she marveled at the gorgeous new villas nestled among the stately old brick mansions. The carriage stopped in front of the grandest, newest villa of all. Margaret double-checked the address. Surely this wasn't the dreary house Richard described in his letter. Indeed it was. 4216 Millcroft Lane. Margaret was further surprised at Richard's appearance when he flung open the villa's stained glass door. He looked pale and drawn, a far cry from the picture of health he'd been just two years prior. Richard rushed out of the house, greeted Margaret before she'd even stepped out of her carriage. His elation at her visit was plain on his face. He grabbed Margaret's luggage in one hand and wrapped her in a hug with the other. Thank you so much for coming, he whispered in her ear. I hope this means you've forgiven me. Margaret leaned into his embrace, enjoying his closeness more than she cared to admit. Then remembering herself, she broke away. I'm happy to be here, she said, and I'm anxious to see Mabel. Richard escorted Margaret through his beautiful home and into the dining room where the table was set for three. She sat while Richard took her luggage to her room. A moment later, Mabel swept in. To Margaret's shock, her cheeks were flushed with vitality. Contrary to Richard's letter, she didn't look ill at all. But that wasn't the thing that drew Margaret's attention. Her eyes fell to Mabel's belly, round with pregnancy. Why hadn't Richard mentioned she was expecting? Margaret hoped Mabel hadn't sensed her shock. She embraced her and explained, My dear friend, congratulations on your grown family. The women released their hug as Richard returned to the dining room. Margaret took in his appearance once again, If either of these two were unwell, it was him, not Mabel. She did not ask, however, and took a seat beside Mabel for supper. The old friends shared a lovely evening eating pork chops and reminiscing about their younger days. Shortly after dinner, Mabel excused herself to bed. Margaret and Richard retired to the sitting room where he offered her a whiskey. She accepted and settled into a green leather armchair by the fireplace. Richard poured their drinks and sat across from her. They stared into the fire for a moment. Margaret shifted in her seat. It had been more than two years since she'd been alone with Richard and suddenly she could feel the distance between them. Determined to overcome her discomfort, Margaret joked, if the baby's a girl, I think Margaret would be a lovely name. Richard smiled wryly but offered no reply. She sensed something was weighing on his mind. She prodded. Mabel seems perfectly healthy. Is something else going on? If you don't mind me saying, this house seems like the perfect place to raise a child. Richard heaved a deep sigh. He said, that's just it, Margaret. The house, it's brand new and yet, I could swear this place is filled with ghosts. Margaret was surprised by his admission. Richard had always been such a level-headed, sensible person. She didn't think he was a believer in the supernatural. What do you mean, ghosts? She asked him. When he didn't respond, Margaret pushed on. Have you seen something? Richard shook his head. Have you heard anything? She asked again. Still, he said he hadn't. What he'd experienced, he said, was a feeling. Richard nervously pulled at his moustache. I can't explain it or prove it, but I know it's real. It follows me all hours of the day and night. It exists just out of sight and just out of sound. When I listen for it, I can only hear my thoughts. And when I turned to look at it, I could only see my shadow. Margaret was too practical to believe such nonsense, but Richard was insistent. It's real, and strangest of all. It only comes when I think of you. Margaret was taken aback. All she could manage was, You think of me all hours of the night, then? Then? Richard clearly wasn't in the mood for humor. He said, I know I acted badly when we were young. I took so much for granted then, but I can see the error of my ways now. Truly. Before Margaret could reply, he continued. Do you think this haunting is some kind of penance? Has someone I've wronged cursed me? She assured him she didn't believe in curses. And besides, she added gently, The only person you've ever truly wronged has forgiven you." Richard gave her a grateful smile, and for a moment, neither said anything. Richard then broke the silence. Please, don't tell Mabel. She's so happy here. I can't take that away from her. He insisted that having Margaret's strong, clear-headed presence around was all he needed. He looked at her, hopeful. I feel almost sane now you're here. This seems to have been a slight exaggeration. Over the next several days, Richard repeated himself again and again. He insisted he was being terrorized by a silent, invisible phantom, and Margaret was the only person he could confide in. She treated him with as much empathy and patience as she could, but she didn't know how else to help. She was certain he was just nervous about becoming a father. The feeling of being followed came from all the pressure he was under. One morning, Margaret was heating milk on the stove and thinking about how she'd felt so-called ghosts manifest in her life. Certainly, Richard and Mabel's wedding had seemed haunted. All throughout the ceremony, an unpleasant feeling had dogged Margaret. She'd felt ill at ease and couldn't wait to be alone. Margaret shook off the memory and grabbed an empty glass. When she opened the cupboard door, a strange chill ran up her back. She paused, lingering in front of the cabinet as every hair on her neck prickled, sensing a danger she wasn't yet privy to. At first, Margaret thought it was her nerves. Richard's relentless chatter about ghosts had gotten to her. But then, she detected body heat close behind her. And she knew, without a doubt, it was more than just a feeling. Her pulse quickened, but she kept her eyes fixed on the warming milk, too terrified to turn around. Her voice shook as she whispered, Abel, is that you? But she knew it wasn't. Just as she knew there was something there. Without moving a muscle, Margaret slowly shifted her gaze to the very corner of her vision. There, at the periphery, she saw a grey figure crouched at her feet. Its features were dull and nebulous. They shifted shapes and positions on the creature's squat face as if being re-sculpted by an artist's invisible hand. Margaret whipped around. The form rapidly changed from grey to the deepest shade of black she'd ever seen. It sank down, appearing to melt from solid to liquid. Then, in the blink of an eye, the figure became nothing more than a pool of shadow on the floor. It flowed into the cupboard and out of sight as a piercing scream ripped from Margaret's throat. Coming up, the shadow claims a life.
1: Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer, and I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about—not to join, but you know, to to learn and educate. Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. (laughs) Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify.
0: Back to the story. Margaret was desperate to tell Richard about her strange encounter with the melting phantom, but Mabel was by his side all day, so she said nothing. She honored her promise to Richard to keep the haunting a secret. That evening, after Mabel went to bed, Richard and Margaret were finally alone by the fire. She downed her whiskey and told him, I felt the ghost, then... I saw it. Richard's eyes widened with anticipation. Margaret rose from her chair and walked around the room, turning up all of the gaslights and lighting candles, anything she could to drive out the shadows. When she was satisfied, she returned to her seat and recounted her experience. How the creature had disappeared into the cupboard, and how she sensed it was still lurking there, waiting to get close to her again when her defences were down. Richard nervously pulled at his moustache as he spoke. When Margaret finished her story, he said, So we're both mad. She replied, At least Mabel's still sane. She'll have to be, for the baby. Richard smiled softly and took her hand in his. Margaret's breath caught as he looked in her eyes. If I am losing my mind, I am thankful I'm losing it with you. That night, Margaret had the sweetest dream. She, rather than Mabel, was married to Richard. Her belly was round with their child and her heart was overflowing with love. When she awoke to her cold, empty bedroom, Margaret was devastated and ashamed. She knew the love she dreamt of would never be for her, but for a while, it had seemed so near she closed her eyes and tried to return to the dream, but it was no use. Instead, an unsettled feeling crept over her. She could sense an uncanny presence hovering just above her face. So close, she could almost feel its breath. Margaret's eyes shot open and she dolted upright in bed, heart pounding. For the briefest glimpse, she saw a stooped, inky shadow looming over the mattress. It disintegrated before her, seeping into the bed. It melted into the sheets, becoming indistinguishable from her own shadow. Margaret sprang out of bed and began throwing clothes into her suitcase. She had had enough of this. She intended to be on the first train back to London. Just then, Richard knocked on her bedroom door. Without waiting for a response, he flung it open and cried, "Mabel's water is broken. I'm off to fetch the midwife." In an instant, Margaret forgot about packing. She dropped her things and rushed to Mabel's side. Richard paced impatiently outside of Mabel's bedroom while Margaret and the midwife assisted her through labor. It was Mabel's first childbirth and she was terrified. Margaret knew her friend needed her steadying presence now more than ever, but she could also feel the menacing creature crouched behind her just out of sight. It took every bit of Margaret's fortitude to keep her fear hidden. What did it want? Why was it here? Did it intend to devour Margaret while Mabel was incapacitated? Margaret considered running. Perhaps the creature would follow her and leave her friend be. A scream from Mabel shattered Margaret's anxious thoughts. She refocused on her friend, counted her breaths during contractions, sponged her brow when it beaded with sweat. But Margaret's thoughts always drifted back to the ominous phantom lurking in her shadow. That is, until Mabel's daughter came into the world. The midwife placed the baby on her mother's chest And Mabel broke into a beautiful smile as she gazed at her newborn daughter's face. Margaret's heart swelled with love for her friend. Just then, a soft sound pulled Margaret from her reverie. It was the creature, sighing ever so gently. It was the most terrible sound she'd ever heard. Margaret fled the room. She couldn't feign stoicism for one moment. She wanted to slough off her skin, to rip her hair from its roots, anything to destroy the feeling of the shadow's encroachment. After a hot bath and a hard scrub, Margaret felt vaguely better. It seemed she had, for the time being, shaken off the phantom. As Mabel rested, Margaret told Richard she needed to leave. It was time for him to be a family with Mabel and their new daughter. Richard reluctantly agreed to take her to the train station the next day. Later that evening, Margaret was returning to her room to finish packing her things. When she passed through the upstairs hallway, she again caught sight of the crouching figure. Margaret froze. For the first time, it wasn't next to her, but ahead of her, right outside of Mabel's bedroom door. Margaret became paralyzed with fear. She watched helplessly as the creature sighed its terrible sigh and sank into a puddle of darkness. Then it slipped beneath the door to Mabel's room. Margaret snapped to her senses. She ran after it and pushed open the door, terrified of what she might find. Margaret squinted into the dark room, listening closely After a moment, she couldn't see or feel any sign of the creature. She sighed with relief. Meanwhile, Mabel and her daughter slept soundly, the baby sweetly cradled in her mother's arms. Margaret noticed how peaceful Mabel looked. She prayed her friend would never know her fear, and that she would never hear anything but beautiful sounds, but Margaret didn't dare pray ever again, because that day, her prayers were answered. Mabel never saw or heard anything again. She died that night with her baby in her arms. At her funeral, Richard was dazed with grief. He said to Margaret, this is my fault. I should have taken her out of that house." Margaret squeezed his hand, her eyes welling with tears. There's nothing to be done, she said. Mabel's death was no more your fault than mine. But even as she said the words, she couldn't fully believe them. Margaret tearfully looked toward Mabel's casket and gasped. There, next to Mabel's body, crouched the hideous gray creature. It looked right at her and heaved a great, quivering sigh. Then, it sank to the ground and flowed into the nearest shadow, under Mabel's coffin. Cora, Evelyn, and I were stunned silent as Miss Eastwich finished her story. I've never told anyone before, and I don't expect I will again, she said softly. It's just, I suppose seeing Mabel's daughter tonight reminded me. We followed her gaze as it drifted toward the bedroom door where Maisie rested. I started, Do you mean Maisie is... Miss Eastwich nodded. She looks like her mother, she said, but she has her father's eyes. Suddenly, Miss Eastwich's expression hardened. Something by the bedroom door caught her attention. My younger sisters froze in fear, but I followed Miss Eastwich as she bounded across the dressing room and threw open Maisie's bedroom door. In an instant, I knew the girl was gone. Her glassy eyes stared unblinkingly at the ceiling and her lips an icy blue. Miss Eastwich fell to her knees by Maisie's side and wept. I enveloped her in a hug, hoping she could find some comfort in my embrace. The following morning, the doctor told us Maisie had died of heart disease, a genetic condition, he said, likely the reason her mother had also passed at such a young age. But my sisters and I shared a look. We knew the truth. Maisie died of something she'd inherited from her father. In the opening passage of The Shadow, Edith Nesbitt writes, This is not an artistically rounded-off ghost story, and nothing is explained in it and there seems to be no reason why any of it should have happened. But that is no reason why it should not be told. An appropriate statement for an author who lived and thrived in grey areas. Professionally, Nesbitt was both a children's author and a horror writer. Personally, she was a commanding, charming woman with a family life that was quite unconventional for her time. As we've discussed in previous episodes, Nesbitt's husband, Hubert Bland, was a notorious philanderer. Six years into their marriage in 1886, he met another woman, Alice Hotson, through their socialist club, and the two began an affair. Eventually, Hotson moved in with the couple and became pregnant by Bland. Nesbitt adopted the child and another that came years later. Nesbitt's unique life experiences undoubtedly helped inform her writing. Unlike many tales from the Victorian era, her stories were unapologetically bold and her characters psychologically intricate. And we can see these intricacies vividly in the shadow. The true terror of this story isn't an otherworldly creature. It's the emotional spectre that follows both Richard and Margaret. Nesbitt hints at their complicated history, alluding to a past romance that continues to haunt them. The Shadow receives the blame for killing Mabel and her daughter, but one need look no further than the secrets between Richard and Margaret. As Nesbitt said, The Shadow isn't a perfect story with a neat ending, because that's how relationships are, terrible Wonderful, messy, exciting, and sometimes haunting. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Place's Ghost Stories. Join us next Thursday for a haunting tale from Edith Wharton and the closing episode of our show. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free exclusively on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Malek, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.
1: Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and That's Why We Drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify.